everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. It's been a while since we've both been on an episode, hasn't it? I know. I don't, I don't know what's up with that. I guess it takes a time of crisis for us to come together, right? I know, right? <laughs> but let's, let's not go there. Resolve Digital helps build, optimize, and maintain e-commerce, SaaS, and other products built on Ruby on Rails. They can help build new applications from scratch, rescue projects in bad shape, provide ongoing development and maintenance for existing projects, augment your existing team with experienced Rails developers. They also specialize in Solidus and Spree Commerce solutions. Go check them out at resolve.digital. It's funny because uh, I was talking to my wife the other day and I was like, yeah, you know, I like going on Twitter and seeing how everybody's doing. But it's so negative on there right now because either people are down because of the virus or they're blaming whatever political group they don't like about the virus. And it's just, there's nothing fun on there anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. I, I definitely don't like talking politics in any way, shape, or form. But the one thing that I read today that just, oh, my, it, it made me cry, honestly, was that a hospital worker in Italy took her life out of fear of spreading the virus to her patients or other people. It was just horrible. Uh, Yeah, their situation over in Italy is ugly. And I really feel for those folks. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's just, you know, hang in there, folks. Stay safe. Look out for each other. I mean, I'm super heartened by all of the stories of people that are checking on their neighbors or, you know, going to the grocery store for their elderly neighbors or things like that, right? Where it's, you know, it's a little inconvenient, but, you know, we're, we're looking out for each other. And I see a lot of that going on and that's very encouraging, but I'm finding yeah. most of that on Facebook. But yeah, so um, you mentioned that, you know, while we're all shut in, right? Uh, let's all upgrade our apps to Rails 6. I know, right? So luckily... That, that was the a... first thing that came to my mind too. <laughs> I was thinking, yep, uh, kids, go in the basement. I'm upgrading Rails. Yeah. And depending on all of the compromises that you have made over the past many years will greatly (laughs) determine how big of a task this will be. Don't hurt me, Dave. I'm not pointing fingers, except I'm pointing at myself here. Right at me. Yeah. So uh, I recently upgraded Drift and Ruby from Rails 5.2 to Rails 6, which, you know, for upgrade paths, that's really kind of the most straightforward one because it's just one bump. You know, I didn't have to go through a lot of different minor upgrades, but there was still so much involved in it. Yeah. And I I mentioned before the show that I have a Rails 4 app that I need to upgrade. And yeah, that's going to be a little more work. Yeah. So I would say if nothing else, the biggest advice that I have for upgrading a Rails application is to go slow. Don't try to go from Rails 4.2 directly to Rails 5.2. Go each minor patch. Just go up by one. Fix any issues as they arise. Run your test suite. Make sure that things are still green. And then move on to the next one. You're going to be able to identify issues so much faster. One of the best websites that I found for helping with this is railsdiff.org to where you can pull up your Rails 4.2 application. So if you created a brand new Rails 4.2 application with nothing in there, and then if you created a brand new Rails 
uh, 5.0 application with nothing in there. This is going to give you the difference between the two versions. Oh, nice. That was RailsDiff.org. So that's, you know, before this, before I found out about this website, bless you people. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Like, these are the real unsung heroes. Oh, man. I would basically download and install whatever version of Rails I currently have, then download and install the one that I want to go to. And then I'll create two new applications on both of them and then do my own diff to see what changed. And it's a pain. It's a real pain to do. But they have taken all that hard work and just made it into a nice little website. Right. So in your case, if you're, what, Rails 5.1, you would just make sure you get all the way up to the latest Rails 5.1 version. So that's Rails 5.1.7. And then go to Rails 5.2. Correct. Yeah, I would skip the betas and release candidates. Yeah, 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 yeah. And go to the actual release. Right. So in my case, I'm at uh, Rails 4.2.7. So I would just go to 4.2.11, which is the latest 4.2 version, and then go to Rails 5 and see what falls apart. Yeah, and typically the hot fixes, so the 4.2.11.1 uh-huh. would be safe to jump to as well. Those right. are usually really minor. But yeah, I mean, that's the single best advice that I have for upgrading Rails is to just go slow. Take it just one release at a time. Don't try to jump all the way up to Rails 6 to your end goal. Yeah, that sounds like pain. I mean, I remember people having like Rails... Well, Rails 2 to Rails 3 was... uh, It was extraordinarily different. So there were just major problems. But even like 3 to 4, yeah, I remember people saying, well, we're on Rails 3.2 and we're upgrading to Rails 5.2. And yeah, some of them tried to make the giant leap. And there was just enough different between 4 and 5 and then 3 and 4 that it was it was a massive problem. Whereas, yeah, it seems like if you can tackle a set of problems at a time, and yes, you may wind up duplicating work and changing a, a config three or four times, but at least then you know you have a working version that, you know, there's sort of a guide for you to follow or some, you know, manageable upgrade path because things were designed to upgrade that way. Yep. And not only that, but I think what you'll find is if you make a large jump, you'll get caught up at your very first step. And that's running bundle to update Rails. You're going to find that those gems that were very well maintained 10 years ago are non-existent today. The repo's there, but that's it. There's been no activity Uh and they have little inclusions like requires active support less than or equal to this number or whatever, and you'll just get stuck there. So that's when you get to the next fun stage of refactoring. And this is going back... Hang on, hang on, hang on. So you, you change your Rails version, you upgrade... What, how do you know which version, especially if you're on some older stuff, how do you know which version of the gems that you need that, that hook into this stuff? Because some of them are not compatible with different versions of Rails. Correct. And those will become very apparent when you try to upgrade Rails. That You'll get a big sea of red of dependencies not being met because there's conflicting versions. Right. And that's when you have to go... If you're doing version locking outside of the gemfile.lock, if you have them explicitly set in your gem file, you're going to have to go through each one of those and start bumping those versions. I do, I do that on all of my gems just because I've had it blow up before where 
you know, I, I do a bundle install on my local machine and it just kind of hangs there on whatever the gem lock is. But for whatever reason, it gets a different version when it installs up somewhere else and then doesn't play nice. So I just lock it all in. But yeah, okay. I, I was just wondering because um, I've seen issues where like you go from four to five and then you're stuck with, okay, well, I don't want to use the latest version of Devise. I want to use the version a couple versions ago of Devise that was designed to work with Rails 5. Correct. And that that's tricky. So I found that trying to go too fast in upgrading them, you're going to run into those situations where yeah. they've dropped support for older versions of Rails. And that's when you have to really start upgrading and refactoring things to get to mm-hmm. new versions. Yeah, but you can usually figure out... You can almost always get the older versions of gems. So it's just a matter of figuring out what version you want to grab that's going to be compatible. Yeah. Anyway, I, I've, I just foresee myself running into that upgrading some of these. So I was wondering. Yeah, getting past the gem hurdle. I mean, if you can get past that and your application still somewhat runs, then you're going to... You're in a good position. You're mm-hmm. going to be able to... Um, get through the rest of the stuff. Yeah, you debug the rest. Yeah, but then you have situations where you know the upgrade from Rails four two to five that wasn't too huge. There were some things, but it wasn't that much. Rails uh-huh. five two added a whole bunch of stuff and deprecated right. a lot of things. But then the jump to six is pretty massive. You essentially got rid of your JavaScript assets. It's now all under Webpacker and then doing that migration. I was going to ask about that. So do you not have sprockets at all in Rails 6? You do for uh, just the style sheet assets. Oh. And so, so your images, JavaScript, it won't, it won't compile them at all? Correct. So there is a file and it is under the app assets config, and then Mm -hmm. manifest.js. And within there, in a Rails 4 or probably Rails 5 application or so, there is something, uh, a line in there called link directory to your JavaScripts folder under the app assets. And if you go make your way all the way to Rails 6, so if you're going from Rails 5.2 to Rails 6, if you leave that line in there, then you are still going to be using the asset pipeline and sprockets for your JavaScript assets. Okay. Once you remove it, then you might as well delete that app assets JavaScripts folder because it's not going to do anything. All right. Um, I guess the other thing that I'm wondering then is Webpacker will do CSS, right? And it'll do Correct. different CSS prepackers uh, or preprocessors. So can you configure Webpacker to do all the rest of that stuff? And do we know if they're planning on getting rid of sprockets altogether in Rails? I would, I would venture to say, yeah, they will eventually. I don't know if it's going to be in the Rails 6 lifetime, but it could be in Rails 7 or 8. Because what is sprockets really giving us uh, for our style sheets? We still need the asset pipeline and stuff for our static images. But I mean... Well, you need could... a an asset pipeline. It could be Webpacker for that too. I'm sure there are plugins for images. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really just going to, you know, depend on where they go. But I think getting your assets for your styles out of the app assets and over into Webpacker is an unnecessary step right now because that's not the 
Rails way that they've taken yet. So I would leave those pretty much alone. But that kind of brings up a, another shift in complexity. So if you're using a gem, which works well under Rails 6, like you don't have any issues getting it installed, but it uses JavaScript assets. So you have that require and then the JavaScript library or that gem name, then you're not going to be able to do that in Rails 6. They basically have done away with being able to embed or include your JavaScript assets that way. There's workarounds to do it, but it's a pain. So one thing that I did when upgrading Drifter Ruby to Rails 5.2 to 6 is I went through a massive refactor of removing any kind of gem that is using those kind of JavaScript assets and really question, do I really need this uh, gem in my gem file? Mm-hmm. Or can I? is there a yarn package for that gem right. or whatever that does the exact same thing where now I don't have to worry about that? Or something like Cocoon. Cocoon had its JavaScript assets that you would add in and stuff. But you wouldn't be able to do that easily in Rails 6 or not without some extra configuration. But the functionality that Cocoon provided was awesome, but it's not difficult. So you rewrite it in Stimulus and add it into your application that way. Yeah, I'm also wondering a little bit with the asset compilation so I have a tendency to go to like Theme Forest and buy HTML layouts, right? And then I just kind of drop everything into in, into Rails. And then for the most part, I, I let the asset pipeline do its thing. And so it'll compile and compress all of the JavaScript. But sometimes it just doesn't play nice. And so I have to have this JavaScript file or that JavaScript file just pulled in directly. And so I'm wondering how this will affect that. Yeah, it's... It's not going to be fun. Um, no, you know the upgrade is definitely not a easier fun fun thing to do. Yeah, but if you do, if you take your time and if you go slowly, then it's not too bad. Yeah, it makes sense. Have you thought about learning how to build machine learning apps? Springboard offers a machine learning engineering career track that's similar to online machine learning boot camps, with the difference that it follows a project-based learning methodology where students work towards creating their own portfolio of machine learning models. Every student is paired with a machine learning expert who provides unlimited mentorship and support throughout the program via video conferences. Most students who take Springboard's machine learning engineering career track take it because they want to learn how to build machine learning algorithms, they want hands-on experience in deploying machine learning models into production, They want to learn how to build and deploy deep learning prototypes. Springboard offers a job guarantee on all their career tracks. That means that you don't have to pay for the program until you get a job in the machine learning engineering space. Ruby Rogues is exclusively offering a scholarship of $500 to eligible applicants. Make sure you use the code AISpringboard when you enroll. There are only 20 scholarships available for students who enroll. You should check if you qualify by applying. The application is free and it takes 10 minutes. Scholarships will be awarded on a first-come, first-served basis. You can sign up at devchat.tv MLE. So yeah, so you get your assets built. And yeah, I don't think that we can give more than really general advice here. But yeah, so you get that all done, then what? So one thing that I did in order to get rid of my app assets JavaScript folder is I just created a sources folder under the JavaScript 
the new way with Webpacker. And mm-hmm. then I started importing those in. So just to completely remove the sprockets dependency and then go the other way. Does that make sense? Started using I'm... the Webpacker way. So basically, whatever files you have in your app assets JavaScripts, uh-huh. take each one of those and you would just move it over into your app JavaScripts and then some folder name like sources. And then you import in those sources into your application JS pack. Uh-huh. And so that way you are essentially removing the JavaScript from the sprockets. But you're then going to be able to test your application to see if things are still working. Right. Chances are you're using jQuery way back when. So you would have <laughs> <Yep>. to... <laughs> I mean, we some people to... are like, jQuery, that's forever ago. But you would be very surprised at how many people are still using it. And a lot of the layouts that I pull from ThemeForest use jQuery still. And so what winds up happening is I'll bring it in, I'll put it together, and I'll let it run jQuery until I get around to either moving it to something else that I like better. A lot of times I just leave it though because it works fine. No, I really like jQuery. It gets such a bad rap nowadays. But I mean, it just... It it is so much easier. Uh, A lot less to type. But I mean, that's not where the world is going. So, you know, unfortunately... Or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, you know a change is needed there. And so yeah. um, another change along with that is CoffeeScript. Now, you don't see CoffeeScript in Rails anymore, really. <laughs> That's true. You don't. So... Yeah. Um, but I, is, I can uh, see, like, you know, if I decide to move to Stimulus or something and then move, build any other interactive features with Stimulus. Yeah. So, it's... Yeah. It really isn't neat if you're using Stimulus, Webpacker. I mean, it, those tools combined with Turbolinks can make yeah. for very client-rich applications. But one thing I used, uh, and I probably abused it in the transition, is a website called js2.coffee. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's a converter, a bidirectional converter that you can go from JavaScript to CoffeeScript and from CoffeeScript back to JavaScript. and that makes it a lot easier to remove the CoffeeScript dependency in your application. Yeah, it makes sense. Because yeah, uh, later versions of Rails don't support CoffeeScript. Yeah, I don't even know if they don't support it or not because I've had um, my Rails, the .RailsRC mm-hmm. file, excluding CoffeeScript for quite some time now. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is I mean, if you do have CoffeeScript and you really don't want to fuss with it, there's no reason why you can't put a preprocessor compiler into Webpack. Yep. So I think those are really the biggest hurdles. The JavaScript uh-huh. change and your gem files. The deprecations really aren't too bad. Yeah. One thing that I'm also wondering about is one of the apps that I've written pretty heavily uses Rescue. And so I'm wondering, you know, do I need to bring that under... What is it? Action... What is it? Active, Active jobs? jobs? Yeah. I would... I mean, <laughs> I think you're missing out on a lot of I'm sure that active job does. Yeah, I'm sure that it does. I'm just wondering if, you know, if it if it's necessary to make it run. No, I mean, you probably could still use the um rescue bus and right. You know, things will still probably work. Uh you just have essentially a beautiful infrastructure available to you. 
called active jobs. Right. Yet you're using this other thing instead. So, yep. You know, I, I would consider that low hanging fruit. The main thing is you want to get your application upgraded and working. Right. Addressing some technical debt as you get there, but not unneedingly go in and extract out functionality in favor for the new one just because it's there. Right. You know, that's a whole separate story, in my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense. So another thing I did, which was a really drawn out task and took a lot of CPU cycles, was I was using Carrier Wave for all my mm-hmm. file uploading. And with uh, the latest version of Rails, you get beautiful things like active storage, action text. Mm-hmm. So I went through, I wrote a couple of shell scripts, <laughs> tested it extensively before I released it. But I basically took all of the uploads that I had with Carrier Wave and I downloaded them and reattached them through active storage. Oh, okay. So that was in one release. So I had the migrations done. I had the script that would then go through and reattach everything. I then did another release where I changed the variable names. So uh-huh. all throughout where I was calling Carrier Wave, uh, those assets or objects, I then changed it over to Active Storage. And so then the following release, I removed all of the references to Carrier Wave. Interesting. Yeah, that's another thing that I'm probably going to have to fiddle with. And I did the same thing for uh, Action Text. So before on the client side, making comments and everything on Drifter Ruby, I was using a markdown editor. So it was just uh, it's called Simple MDE. And I really liked it. You know, I I think for the development community, we know what uh-huh. markdown is. We're right. familiar with it. Enough to use backticks to do the coding. But then on the back end, on the show notes side of things, I was using summer note. So uh-huh. I went through a transition period where I converted all of the comments and that stuff over to action text. And right. unfortunately, there was some loss in translation on some of the items on the markdown formatting mm-hmm. back over to a, a more standard WYSIWYG. And then later in another release, I upgraded all of the show notes over to action text. I converted those as well. And that was a, it was a process. Some of it was a manual process. I couldn't automate it because I wanted the show notes to look proper. But I mean, that was a completely separate effort. So just because you're upgrading to a newer version of Rails doesn't mean you have to start immediately using the functionality. You know, get the basic stuff done first and then start migrating things over. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm going to look up a tweet that I made on this particular topic because it was really interesting to see at the end of the day what the actual difference was with my uh, code repository size. It was pretty significant too. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I will eventually find it. So, yeah, I'm curious maybe to I'm see not find it at all. how that impacts. So, do you feel like? Do you feel like this upgrade has really cleaned some stuff up for you or? Yeah. Okay. So I found it. Uh, So from my one other 
event that I did was upgrade from Bootstrap 3 to Bootstrap 4, which oh. that's a pretty massive change. I was going to well. say. That was not a fun one. Yeah, I, so, have, a, I have another app. And this is the one that we're going to be moving all the podcasts to for management that we've been working on. And yeah, we've got that ticket in our system that says, yeah, upgrade from Bootstrap 3 to Bootstrap 4. And that's one that I'm not really looking forward to doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So luckily, there's some things that you can just do a blanket find and replace in your application. Uh-huh. But then you have things like going from panels to cards and things yeah. not quite lining up correctly. It's just going to be a lot of hand-holding to get there. But the so the upgrade from Rails 5.2 to Rails 6.02.1 and the upgrade from Bootstrap 3 to Bootstrap 4, I touched 141 files, I had 2,090 insertions, uh-huh. and 4,885 deletions. So I struck my code size uh, pretty significantly wow. by this change. So that was just Rails or was it Rails and Bootstrap? Rails and Bootstrap. I really should have done them separately. I mean, those are really two quite different efforts, but yeah, I just captured it in one. Interesting. So, I mean, anything you're working on now that you're adding in or changing at this point because of this upgrade? Well, I've been able to stabilize and get things a bit more mainstream. I've reduced the number of gems that I've been dependent on. Some of them were blocking my upgrade for a long time. So I went from 100 some odd gem dependencies down to under 30. So, I mean, it's pretty mm. massive. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, there was no immediate need to upgrade. But if I care about my product and care about its longevity, it's going to be so much easier for me to upgrade to Rails 7 now because right. I've reverted back from trying to figure some way to do something out and put in my own implementation, put in my own gym or something to solve it, deviating from the Rails way of doing it. Mm -hmm. And those, in almost every single case, it's come back to bite me. Even something as simple as using RSpec. I don't use RSpec anymore. I love it. It's definitely my preferred testing framework. But one of the biggest issues that I had, once I got the production gyms taken care of, I started trying to run my test suites and RSpec just kept failing on me. Yep. So I wouldn't have that issue if I was using the built-in mini test. Now, it shouldn't hinder you from deploying because you can always do a bundle install without your test gems on your production instance and you probably should be doing that anyways. However, it was hindering my productivity for development. Right. So yeah, I was going to say, you want to make test part of your workflow. And if, <laughs> if you can't upgrade your test suite with your code, then you've got a problem. Yeah. So it's all been rewritten into a uh, mini test. Because, you know, I had some time. It was worth the effort. Because, I mean, honestly, Drifter Ruby isn't that mm-hmm. big of an application. Right. But it's big enough to where it definitely still took time. But now I don't have to worry about my test suite. And if something changes in testing in Rails from this version to the next version, one, I already have the code repository. So if Rails 7 ditches mini tests in favor for RSpec and they're going to take over RSpec and maintain it or whatever, 
uh, or had better compatibility, then I still have all my old tests that I could bring in and fix or whatever. Right. So it's not a complete lost cause, but for now, for the foreseeable future, I have a maintainable test suite. I have a maintainable application, significant reduction of resources or the third-party dependencies. And it's been a lot nicer to work on and to work with. Yep. Cool. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I've mostly been the dude asking all the questions. So, I mean, I don't have any anything to add. And it sounds like you've addressed most of the major differences and the things that you've wondered about. So, yeah. I don't know. Is there anything else we should be talking about here? I'm sure there is. Because the upgrade tasks... I mean, it's really... It, I would say if you are on a team doing this with a group of people, this is a situation where this might be a long-living branch. And I know that there's a lot of pushback for having branches that exist for more than a few days. But this is not a small test, especially depending on the size of your application. And I've seen upgrade paths where people will take their gem file, they'll start splitting it. Like, um, if this environment variable, then run on this part of the application a different version. Mm-hmm. And try to slowly migrate. And doing that, I think, is just a bad idea. Because unless if your application is so large to where it's going to take you years to make the migration, then you're just adding in a lot of complexity. A lot of that code is going to become stale really fast once you make the upgrade. And then cleaning things up, potentially breaking things, it's a big risk. But the number one thing starts with your test suite. Have a good test suite. Because a lot of these things that are going to come up, you're going to be able to tell if your application works well or not just by visiting it on the web page, you know, uh-huh. on your local environment. Yep. But you're not going to think of all of these different edge cases that you've discovered over the years and built tests for. So having good tests is going to really determine whether or not you have a successful time in your upgrade path. Makes sense. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and do some picks. By the way, before I do that, do you do you have any Drifting Ruby videos about this process? Not for upgrading, but I do have some that you could piece together like around Webpacker and that kind of stuff. And then also I did one on uh using Bootstrap templates within a Rails 6 application, uh-huh. which you could piece together on how to really use Webpacker, use jQuery at a global window level for your um, migration and all that good stuff. And then also I have a video on upgrading or going from jQuery to ES6 and just some of the very common syntax that we use. Cool. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. jsremoteconf.com. All right, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you want to start us off? Sure. So uh, speaking of Drifter Ruby, I am running a promotion right now with the discount code LEARN FROM HOME, all one word. 
And basically, you get your first three months on Drift and Ruby for $9 a month. And then it goes back to the normal $15 a month after that. But for new subscribers, uh, just trying to help spread learning during this time when you're already at home and maybe have a bit of extra free time. Sounds good. Where do people get that promotion? I'll post it in here on the show notes. Okay. But if you go to driftandruby.com and go to subscribe, the code again is learn from home. Just like work from home, but yep. learn from home. All one word. Good deal. I'm going to go ahead and jump in then with my picks. Um, uh, let's see. So I've been reading Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. He's the guy that wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So I'm going to pick that. I also did an episode on React Roundup with Manny Vea. And we talked about entrepreneurship. So, you know, some people have lost their jobs and things like that. It sucks, but sometimes it's kind of a silver lining opportunity. And so, yeah, just putting that out there. If, if you're looking for a new job, I mean, look, right? Go, go find a new job because you got to eat. But um, also consider some of the other options like freelancing and um, starting a business. And so if you're interested in that, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, he actually has a series of uh, book summaries that he's done on business books. And I think there are like 50 books in there. And so you can kind of get condensed wisdom out of all those books without having to read them all. And so you, can, you get a, a jumpstart on that. So I'll put that out there as well. Um, he gave me a discount code. It's on the show notes for that episode. So you can just go get it there. And then I'm going to be starting up the DevRev again. And really, um, what's kind of prompted this is just seeing, again, that some people are losing their jobs. Um, some people are just in a weird spot with their work situation because they live with somebody that they don't want to um, expose to possible infection with the virus and things like that, you know, because they have one of the risk factors or anything like that, you know, but yet their boss wants to actually see them at work. Uh, I'm going to talk about some of that stuff and what you can do to further your career and give more directed advice as far as starting a business or going freelance or working from home and things like that and just help answer some of the questions that people are going to have uh, during a period like this. I'm also going to post them to YouTube. So keep an eye out for that. And then the last one is Rails Remote Conf. So RailsConf got canceled because of the uh, COVID-19. They're putting up videos from some of the speakers um, but they're not doing like an online conference. And one of the things that I really believe in about conferences is that there should be some form of interaction. And so um, we're going to do the live talks and you can ask questions and do your Q&A. There will be a chat room off to the side. We'll probably also set up a Slack room. Um, and I'm really going to try and set up a couple of sessions where folks can just like join a Zoom room or maybe we'll just have like, you know, one space where people can come in and then I can manage who's on the video and who's not. And we can just sit and chat. So if you want to essentially raise your hand, we can bring you in. But uh, I want to create some spaces where people can get together. So that's another thing I'm doing. And then finally, I am putting together online meetups and they're going to follow a very similar idea, except they're shorter. Um, I'm not vetting the talks as heavily, right? Because you know it's like, hey, come show us what you're doing kind of thing. Um, as opposed to the talks where you actually expect like, you know, here's here's a you know, complete introduction to a thing. So anyway, that you can find all of that at devchat.tv slash meetups and devchat.tv slash conferences. If you're into JavaScript as well, we're putting on a JavaScript conference in May. Uh, the Rails one will probably be in June. 
Um, I'm also putting on one that's going to stand in for like the WWDC and alt comp for iOS developers and a React Native conference in July since Chain React conference got canceled. So pulling all that together. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions or you want to speak at any of those, I'm going to have links to the CFPs on the pages and you can just go in and uh, hop in. So yeah, I, I'm really just trying to pull things out for the community so that we can remain connected as a community. So yeah, that, that's pretty much that. All right, Dave, well, that was fun. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And to anyone venturing to do this, good luck. Yeah. All right, folks. Till next time, Max out. All right. Talk to you later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.